Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Well, please be seated. And good morning. So as, as I was preparing to preach this week, <clears throat> reading through our passage from Isaiah, and uh, I'm actually not going to preach on Romans. I'm really sorry that we made you read that. <laughs> but you did a phenomenal job. It was just part of our lectionary today, so... <laughs> Well done. If there was an award, you would have it, Elizabeth. <clears throat> well, um, as I was preparing to preach on Isaiah, I was reminded of the remarkable story of an event that took place on Christmas Eve 1914. And of all the places, it happened in the dank, muddy trenches of the Western Front of the First World War. And it came to be called the Christmas Truce. And it remains one of the most storied and strangest moments of any war in history, a time when peace broke out in the most unlikely of situations. And a, a few years back, to commemorate the anniversary of that, a 100-year anniversary, a company in England made a commercial that told the story. So let's watch that video right now. Jenkins, Oakley, Otto. Please to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. And soon, him. Schön.
Christmas. Frohe Weihnachten. isn't it? And as you know, as we enter the season of Advent and Christmas rushes headlong towards us, I was chatting with someone about that just this week, trying not to miss this time of what's coming. We hear more and more about peace. So what happens every year, we receive cards that wish for peace on earth. We hear songs that plead that we give peace a chance. And we hear people talk about how they long for world peace. But did you know that the world's rarely known a time of complete peace? A group of historians from around the world figured out that since uh, 3,600 BC, the world's known only 292 years of peace. However, during the same period, there have been 14,351 wars, large and small, in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. And the value of the property destroyed would pay for a belt made of gold to extend around the world that is 97.2 miles wide and 33 feet thick. The truth revealed by scripture is that there will never be an end to conflict on this earth, is what the scriptures teach us, at least not until the second advent, Jesus' second advent or second coming. Now, knowing this, it might seem futile to even wish for peace, let alone to pray for it. So what are we to do? Are we to give up on one of the deepest God-given desires that we have, something that we all long for, yet something that seems so far out of our reach? Well, this week, we're continuing in our Advent sermon series in Isaiah, and the theme of our series is the coming king. You can see it on the screen there. And each week, we're looking at a different characteristic of this unlikely king whose birth we're about to celebrate, and whose second coming we are still waiting and maybe longing for. Last week, Kendall spoke about the Messiah, and we looked at how he's the light of the world. And this week, we're going to look at the Messiah who's the Prince of Peace, the Sar Shalom, as the Hebrew says. Shalom meaning completeness, soundness, safety, and even prosperity. And it's a much broader definition of peace than we tend to think of. It's not simply the absence of conflict. And we'll discover that Jesus is the only one who brings true peace, past, present, and future. So let's turn to our Isaiah reading for this week, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. You can find it in your service bulletin if you want to follow along. It'll be on the screen as well. And As I begin, I'm wary of preaching on God's peace because it reminds me of another story of a very long, boring sermon a preacher once gave. And as the church members filed out of the church, they said nothing. However, towards the end of the line was a thoughtful person who always commented on the sermons. Pastor, today your sermon reminded me of the peace and love of God, this person said. Well, the pastor was thrilled and replied, no one's ever said anything like that about my preaching before. Tell me why. Well, said the person, it reminded me of the peace of God because it passed all understanding and the love of God because it endured forever. (laughs) May neither of these things be true about my sermon today. 
Well, Kendall set the scene well last week by explaining a little bit about who Isaiah is, but in case you weren't here or maybe you forgot, Isaiah's a prophet who's been called by God to minister to the people of Judah in the latter half of the mid-8th of the 8th century BC, and that's the southern kingdom of Israel. Remember, Israel's been split into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern at this stage, and at this time, Judah has turned a deaf ear to the Lord, and instead of serving him with humility and offering to love their neighbors, the nation of Judah offers meaningless sacrifices in God's temple at Jerusalem and commits injustices throughout the nation. Yes, they have turned their backs on God. Now, not coincidentally, the nation falls from a season of great prosperity and relative peace under King Uzziah to one in which the threat of the Syrian and the Assyrian empires was ever present. And it's ultimately defeated by the Assyrians, with many of the Jewish people being taken off into exile. Well, our scripture reading today follows immediately after a section where Isaiah has prophesied about this impending Assyrian invasion and the destruction the Israelites will face. And he he likens it, if you were to go back into chapter 10, you'd see this, to the boughs of trees being chopped down with the thickets in the forest. Think of perhaps if you've ever driven past a place where there's clearly been a forest fire of some sort, or maybe they've cleared trees for a new project they're doing. However, here in chapter 11, we get this glimmer of hope a new king will come but the question is what will he be like they've had so many bad ones over the years they must have been apprehensive and so in verse one we read this there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit Now notice, first of all, he continues with this language of the forest and tree imagery. And the the trees may have been cut down, they may have been almost completely decimated, but now there's this small shoot, just a little leaf, coming out of one of the stumps. It's this very hopeful image. Reminds me of a particular azalea bush we've had for a number of years in our yard. And a couple of years ago, it was dying where we'd placed it in our backyard. I think it was getting a bit too much sun, too much heat. So I dug it up and I moved it to our front yard. And I was trying to create kind of a, almost like a boundary between our neighbor's yard and our yard right next to our driveway. And I put it there with another azalea bush. And there was a little gap between hoping they would fill in eventually. Well, last year, we bought a basketball goal. And the best place to put it was next to our driveway. And so I put it next to our driveway between the two bushes. There was just about enough space to do this. And they were doing pretty well by then. They were growing into a, a decent size. Well, it didn't take many games of horse or knockout <laughs> before one of the bushes had completely disappeared. It was buried beneath the pine straw, destroyed. And eventually I decided, you know what, I'm going to see if I can find it. So I dug down beneath the pine straw, and lo and behold, there it was. It was still there, looking not not too unlike Isaiah's description here. One small stump with this little shoot coming out of it. One leaf. That was literally all you could see. And so once again, I thought I would dig it up and I would move it somewhere a little bit safer. And I put it near our front porch. And now a year later, it's back to where it was. It's starting to grow again. One small shoot has grown into a small bush. And hopefully, in another year or two, it will be much larger. It will be a thriving plant. And this is exactly the kind of imagery that Isaiah is using to let the Israelites know the incredible hope that can come from even the smallest, even the most humble of beginnings. Even perhaps a baby sleeping in an animal trough that's normally used for feeding them in a quiet backwater of the Middle East. Well, second, we have to ask, who is Jesse? 
Now, does anyone know who Jesse is? I know someone does. Who is Jesse who's alluded to in this reading? Who is he? Thank you, Jake. He is David's father. Jesse is David's father. And you remember who David is. He's the guy who had a slingshot, right? Killed Goliath with his slingshot. So that's who David is. Jesse is his father. And this all happens about 300 years or so before Isaiah. And David actually ends up being the greatest of all the Israelite kings. He's in fact becomes the gold standard, if you will, the one that they measure all of the kings against. But none of them live up to his standard. In fact, his dynasty proves to be a disaster. Therefore, it's not really all that surprising that the Messiah is not just called a shoot from Jesse, which reveals his humanity, but he's also called the root of Jesse. Verse 1, we see shoot. At the end of our reading, we see he's the root, and I think that's intentional. See, the hope is for someone who will reign like David did of his line, but who will be even more than David, who was a flawed man and whose flaws led to many of Israel's subsequent problems. Yes, the Messiah, you see, is not just from Jesse, which might not be such a good thing, but he proceeds Jesse, hence the root, because he created Jesse and all of mankind. The root analogy speaks to his divinity. He will be the God-man, the root and shoot, the only one who can bridge the gap between God and man that we created by our sin. And he will bring peace to this broken relationship that's existed ever since the fall of mankind that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. So knowing his lineage, Isaiah then goes on to reveal what this new king will be like. In verses 2 through 5, you might have caught it, we see that Isaiah prophesies that this new king, this Messiah, he will be nothing like the kings who've come since David. And in fact, he will be even greater than David. First of all, verse 2 tells us that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, this puts him in the same category as people such as Moses and Joshua and Elisha and Elijah and David, these heroes, enormous heroes of the Jewish faith and people who enjoyed a permanent indwelling of the Spirit of God. Well, verse 3 goes on to explain in three pairs of characteristics what this means he'll be like. Number one, he'll have wisdom and understanding. Number two, he'll have counsel and might. And finally, he'll have a knowledge and fear of the Lord. And as if to emphasize this last characteristic of the fear of the Lord, verse 4 tells us that his delight will be in the fear of the Lord, this awe and reverence that he will have for his God. Now, the Hebrew word used here for delight actually means smell. So it actually reads like this, his smell shall be in the fear of the Lord, which seems a little strange, doesn't it? doesn't make much sense. But what does it mean? Well, I think the best of verse 3 gives us an idea. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. So he's not going to judge by sight or by hearing. Now, how often do I make a judgment that's terrible, and you might do this too, by just seeing something or by hearing something? I rush to a judgment by doing that, okay? Just by what I can literally see or hear. You see, our ears and our eyes can mislead us. We need to use our intuition too. And I think we might say that this king will have a nose for the truth. That's the way we'd put it, right? Or he'll be able to sniff out the real situation. You know, sometimes the proof as it looks or sounds, it actually isn't enough to make a decision. We need to think, hold on, does my child really act that way normally? <laughs> or does, my, does that person really often do it that way? Is that the case? Well... 
he will judge with righteousness because of this. As verse 5 says, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. You know, the belt is the thing on a, on a man's garment that holds everything together, right? You feel strange when you forget to wear your belt. And this thing will hold everything together. The thing that will hold everything together will be righteousness and faithfulness. And what will this righteousness lead to? Well, it's going to lead to justice and equity for all and punishment for those who would seek to oppress or take advantage of anyone. And that's got to be bringing hope to the Israelites. Think about the Israelites. If anyone's ever been oppressed throughout history, it is them. There are people who've been oppressed. But you know, it also brings hope to us today. Perhaps you're in a situation where you're feeling unjustly treated by someone. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a business partner. Maybe it's a friend or a spouse or a former spouse. Maybe it's the law courts themselves. Well, the good news is that when Jesus, this Messiah, when he returns, he will return or his return will inaugurate a kingdom of perfect justice and righteousness. You may not be sensing it now, but the hope is and the hope that you can ground in certainty is it will happen. But there's more. If you weren't already excited, here's the really great part. In verses 6 through 8, we discover it's going to lead to true peace and not merely the end of hostilities and wars. Those are a good thing. No, but there's more than that. There'll be unity between the greatest of enemies. Look at the reading. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard with the young goat, the lion and the calf, the cow and the bear, the child and the venomous snake. Isaiah is depicting the very opposites of aggressiveness and helplessness living together in harmony. Now think of some of the bitterest enemies throughout time, perhaps the Greeks and the Romans 2,000 years ago, the Germans and the Russians of the early 20th century, the late 20th century, maybe the Russians and the Americans, we experienced the Cold War. You could even talk about the French and the British of the, well, I guess any era you want to pick. I mean, that just goes on. It's like these countries having not just peace at the height of their conflict, but complete unity. Complete unity, it's crazy. Now think back to the story we saw at the beginning, uh, the video we watched, and the soldiers, they were sharing food and playing soccer in no man's land. It's this perfect picture of the kingdom that's coming. Now in today's language, we might say, the Republican will lie down with the Democrat. The Trump supporter will eat lunch with the Biden supporter. The Russian will sit with the Ukrainian, the Palestinian with the Israelites, and even perhaps the Gamecock will cheer for the Tiger, and the Tiger will cheer for the Gamecock. That's how ludicrous this is, right? It's ludicrous. Yes, there won't just be peace, there will be unity, shalom. And how is this even possible? Well, Isaiah carries on, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, if you know that hymn. It's worth noting here that the Hebrew language actually doesn't recognize any distinction between knowledge that's from accumulation, you know, sort of book smart knowledge, and knowledge that's from just knowing someone, personal acquaintance. For the Hebrews, all true knowledge is based on experience. Therefore, when the prophet speaks here about the knowledge of the 
Lord. He's not speaking really about the knowledge of the Lord from study, but of deep insight born of a close, personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. Yes, the Messiah will make it possible for people to know God intimately. And when they do, then they'll know him personally. And there will be true peace and there'll be shalom. This is the king whose first advent was as a baby that first Christmas 2,000 years ago and whose second advent is yet to come. And he is the true prince of peace. In fact, he's the author of true peace. And he is knowable. You can be in a personal relationship with him because of his life, death, and resurrection upon the cross. And the good news is that he's bringing peace today. He brings peace to our families. He brings peace to our work situations. He brings peace to our neighborhoods. He brings peace to our friendships, even to our churches, our finances, our addictions. He brings peace to our hearts and the hearts of those around us right here, right now. And more often than not, he chooses to use you and he chooses to use me to be those peacemakers because guess what that spirit that is in him is in us the spirit of wisdom understanding counsel might knowledge and the fear of the lord that dwells within us so where can you be a peacemaker today And the great news is that even as we sang in that song earlier, one day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed and have passed away. When he returns, there will be complete shalom for all time. It's going to be a time when, as the great philosopher and theologian Samwise Ganges puts it, he puts it so well in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, all the sad things will become untrue. All the sad things will become untrue. Isn't that amazing? So do you have peace? Not peace and quiet, you know. Get away from me. I want to have a Sunday afternoon nap. I need some peace and quiet. But shalom with God a deep abiding relationship with him. This is the peace that you need and the world around you needs too. Not hallmark sentimentality, but genuine reconciliation with God. A reconciliation that will give you assurance that you're known and loved by the one who made you. This Advent and forevermore, may you know this peace, may you bring this peace, and may you hope in this peace. Amen.